Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Ranga Yogeshwar. Ranga is a physicist and science journalist, and this conversation was recorded at a recent conference on the use of 5G technology in society in front of a live audience. Now, if you live in Germany or in the German-speaking world, Ranga needs no introduction whatsoever. The, the program says rather modestly, in my view, over-modestly, he's a physicist and a science journalist. But as you know, those you know him well in his career, he's much, much more than that. He's a guy who understands science and technology much more than, than most of us, certainly. But combined with that, which is a kind of rare combination, he knows how to communicate it to wider, less well-informed audiences. And if you've seen any of his documentaries, many of which are available on YouTube, in many different languages, um, then you know exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. So it's a great pleasure to have you here, Ranga, and I'm really looking forward to this interview. We have about half an hour. Uh, if, I'm not too, um, if I'm feeling generous, I will share some of the time with the audience. If not, I will monopolize you for the next half an hour. Um, this whole day, as you know, is about, obviously, how 5G, how much of a reality 5G is and its applications. And we just heard two very inspiring presentations from these two wonderful dudes um, on stage um, about how, it, how they're using 5G technology and related technologies for the benefit of, the, of their causes. Uh, but let's step back a bit. Um, I'm still slightly confused. Is the industry in particular guilty of a bit of, of hubris? They use phrases like game changer. And how much of a game changer, in your view, is 5G from a pretty objective, neutral point of view? Well, uh, first of all, good morning. I take this question, and you would have asked me this question 50 years back when I was a small child in South India, uh, living next to Bangalore, which in those days just had about 350,000 uh, inhabitants. Um, a small Indian boy in those years was not interconnected to the world. so looking at something, there was almost like a monopoly of information somewhere far away and in a remote place we were not connected. Now just think of the impact of the internet of uh, mobile phones or mobile communication which has been a true game changer. We don't realize that because we are still sort of based on um, these communication alleys which would be um, just one way and not two way. This has changed. We have to realize that nowadays a small girl, might she live in Kenya or in India or somewhere else, if she has access to the internet, if she's mobile, uh, if she's connected, she has the same information at her fingertips anyone here. So this sort of symmetry has really become a game changer. And, and you can see it everywhere. I mean, I'm personally still learning coding. And it's quite interesting because you have, for example, fantastic tutorials on programming coming from South India now, which you can see here. So this whole flux has changed. Uh, I always like to say that, well, this digital age has brought us into what I call the inversion of the flow. So uh, it's not uh, sort of the mass media have become the media of the masses. 
Um, think of education. Think of the impact of Wikipedia, just to give one example. And 5G, or let's say connectivity, is crucial to participate in this sort of new global phase transition which we are living through. I'm still not clear in my own mind to what extent uh, there's going to be a, a, there's supposed to be a, a big bang when all of a sudden 5G is suddenly becomes a, a reality after many, many years of talking about it and talking it up, frankly, in some circles. Uh, Mark was saying in his presentation how partially because of the complexity of, of 5G technology, it'll be, uh, uh, the deployment will be incremental uh, into different applications, different regions. Is, is, that, is that a good thing in, from a society point of view that it's, it won't be a kind of overnight bang and all of a sudden people are trying to come to terms with it? Uh, is it, is it better that, uh, that, that, that in the fact that the, the populations will see the, the reality of, of, of 5G played out over time? Well, me as a physicist, me as a person who likes progress, naturally, I'm a bit impatient, you know, I don't want to wait decades for things to happen. Um, but what you can see is that it changes a grammar. And we have seen this in the last 20 years. I mean, uh, with the occurrence of the mobile phone, uh, which for some is still perceived as something which is new, we, I mean... You, you still have people speaking about new technologies, although they are already, well, almost grown up. Um, what you see is the grammar changes in a very fundamental way. It changes... Um, I'll give you one example. My, my eldest daughter is right now in New Zealand. Okay? Well, we share almost as if she would be next door. Um, and this is something which is a new uh, option. And if you now think of 5G, it is real-time. It is not technically speaking bandwidth, but is the possibility that um, we open new windows to share real-time information like Toffer um, just showed. I mean, just imagine um, getting up in the morning and listening to the wonderful sounds of the gibbons in Sumatra. What does that do with you? And I think so it could create much more empathy. And empathy is something which um, is important in a global world facing global problems. So if you put here 5G is greener, there are two ideas behind. 5G standing for technology and is greener is, I think so, something which we all slowly start realizing that, uh, well, you could say we just have one planet and so on, but uh, the new generation, I can see it with my children, which say we look at the purpose, what is the goal, where um, do we want to head? And I think so technology in that context can really be a game changer. I have a son in Australia, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but it seems to me, you can say technology has always, progress has always been there, and uh, we can't stop progress, even if we wanted to stop progress for some reason. But you, this is not a discussion about politics. I know we're going to talk, trying to stay away from politics, but to what extent do you think in this particular kind of technology, 
companies have much more of a role and a responsibility to play, frankly, to, to explain what they're doing, what their, what their innovation, and what kind of results their innovation and their research are producing. And, and by, in so doing, frankly, a bit of a leading question, Ranga, uh, try to basically reassure the population that everything is good. Well, I think so. The general population always had difficulties really in-depth understanding technology. That was the same, uh, I mean, I remember 20 years back, I did programs in Germany explaining the internet because everybody said, what is this? Uh, now you suddenly, you know, uh, can use a computer and you can connect to the other side of the world and it's all for free. Uh, so one thing is the difficulty to explain the technology, but I think so. we are all very fast adapting on a private level. So this is one interesting discrepancy I, I see, for example, in countries like Germany, that uh, on the private side, people adapt. I mean, uh, they would implement, um, well, the new digital grammar into their private life, but um, looking at their business life, they are like, oh, uh, this is changing something, so we are afraid, perhaps, or business is changing. So I think so we see this discrepancy, but all in all, um, I believe new applications, new best practice examples. I mean, I was in, in Stanford just a couple of months back uh, and I met um, a young researcher from the computer center who developed algorithms um, analyzing x-rays. And, um, and it was quite interesting how it worked. So using AI to identify, I don't know, a tumor or, or whether an x-ray shows that a person has tuberculosis, it works with a mobile phone. Now just imagine the impact, the health impact, in an area where perhaps the density of uh, specialized doctors, x-ray experts and so on is low, that you can use a mobile phone and get a fast answer, yeah. uh, which Think of tuberculosis, which really kills many people. If you can identify that fast and you can help the people, yeah. this really has a huge impact. And I think so, these are the success stories for the good, which will help. And the other aspect is, we have to be very honest, um, if we implement 5G, if we implement sort of a breeding ground for new technologies, we should be very honest that we still don't know what is all going to be possible. Yeah. So 5G, I think, so just opens windows, and it, it's our human creativity um, with perhaps a purpose that can fill new dreams uh, which were impossible before. Right. I, I, will, I want to come back to you uh, toward the end about more the societal aspects as well, um, and digital literacy, those kind of issues. But be, before doing that, we're not just connecting devices now, we're connecting people and, and communities. And, uh, and there's a tremendous need for this collaboration that everybody's talking about. But I think it's quite a, for me, that seems quite a new thing we have to get our heads around, collaboration. What does it mean in practice? How can we orchestrate it? Who takes a leading role in making sure that we do collaborate? Do you, do you see that point? How do, we, how do we make sure that we do collaborate in the most productive and uh, non-confrontational way? Well, that's our big hope, because we have this um, discrepancy. On one side, the digital age has opened up a world, as I mentioned. And on the other side, 
I believe sometimes progress is so fast that people oh, want to go slow and the consequences of this slow going means uh, there is one narrative which says stop and look back and claim that the past was better which is not true and this is I think so one uh, message I always want to convey which is technology has made this world better I mean, since I was born and spent my childhood, as I mentioned, in India, just look at life expectancy all over, global. Look at um, analphabetism, which has plunged down. Look at um, the way, for example, uh, equality is there. Look at women, look at, you know, I could mention many, many examples. And I think so, the strong belief that technology will change the world for the better is something we really have to see also with all the experience of the past. Now, if you look into the future, the big phase transition is that this world is getting more global. We see the global problems and we all agree that climate change is nothing which is just for one country, it's for all countries. And we need now, I would say, the global empathy, the global trust. And this is difficult because we have had a culture of decades or even centuries mm. of separation and now slowly this changes and I think so uh, we are living it through I mean Huawei is living it through in, in this world where you know there yeah. is on one side separation on the other side um, cooperation and I'm very strong I mean perhaps because it's in my genes you know my yeah. mother was Luxembourg my father Indian so I'm the product of you know global cooperation in a certain yeah. way and I believe um, we should stress out uh, the options and stop with all the narratives of the, the past which try to separate. Well, you talked about the, kind of the, the, the global aspect and we all have to work more together. And I touched on this in one of my questions to Mark earlier that uh, unfortunately there, are, there is a strong element of geopolitics in all this now, uh, which is relatively new, uh, which I think it hasn't really happened in a, such an acute way un until now in this broad technology area where we have obviously in the United States on one side, China on the other, and somewhere in the middle of the European Union, who I think they feel rather, the European Union feels rather threatened and vulnerable because they haven't got their own autonomous uh, platforms and, uh, and all the rest of it that goes with it. Is, are you saying, without trying to put words in your mouth, Ranga, that this is a kind of a, a, a false debate and that we shouldn't even be having it, kind of, you know, these power blocks uh, under the umbrella of technology or hidden, hiding behind technology when we should be making much more uh, significant efforts to work more together and not these silly standoffs? Absolutely. I mean, um, I just celebrated in Berlin 30 years of falling walls. And it's quite nice. It was a nice feeling. The end of a Cold War. Yeah. And to me, I am, I'm very emotional about the fact that we should all be very sensitive not to restart a Cold War, perhaps with a different uh, geography. So I think so. We have to be very clear that this is not an avenue which is going to lead into a better future. But um, what we have to do for that is be more honest, um, be more honest also not adapting, as I say, anachronistic narratives from the past. And the other aspect is, and this is difficult for especially Europeans, 
I mean, I, my mother is from Luxembourg. Luxembourg is, I think, so really one of the really small countries in uh, Europe. And um, there is a proverb in Luxembourg saying, mir will bleiben, wird man Also, we want to stay as we are. And I think so, this is not true anymore. If you look at Luxembourg now, uh, it's about 50% of the population is from France, from Germany. So it's, it has changed. This country has changed. And I think so in the next years, the concept of Europe is going to change in a global world. So it is not anymore continents. It is, uh, in, in India you say mixed pickles, you know, it's, it's everything together. And what is more important is not the nations, but the aims. And this is the green which is there, because this means we all, as citizens of this planet, have common goals. Uh, we want to fight poverty, we want to have a fairer world, and we want to do this together, because everything going in the other direction is dangerous. And I think so. this is especially important because there are still many prejudices uh, against countries like China and so on, where, where people are reticent and... Um, I can just say, well, go there, see, and, uh, you know, the young generation, and this is startling to me, speaks the same grammar. Right. I've seen that in the refugee crisis. I mean, young people from Syria, they would come, they would have their smartphone and their ear tags in, and you can see the same in China, the same in India, the same in the US or wherever. Mm. So we should take the power of this young generation speaking a common language, having common goals, right. um, and move in that direction, and not head backwards in a world which separates um, cultures. Right. I want to put a, a thesis to you, um, which is based on the premise that it, to the extent that people, real ordinary people, non-specialists, know anything at, at all about 5G and its application, it's in the area of autonomous vehicles. They hear about it every now and again, and it strikes me that we've been talking about autonomous vehicles for quite some time, and if you go to these large uh, conferences, there are lots of displays with the car made up or the screens showing you know, in virtual reality, if you like, of what an autonomous vehicle looks like to practice. Uh, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. This is, I call it, one of the miracles of technology. Why? Um, let me take the example of the autonomous car. I mean, if you drive and an accident occurs, normally things go so fast, you can't take any decision. It's just bang there. Now, with high-speed computing, with sensors, with all that uh, ingredients in a, an autonomous car, it is as if time would be stretched. So suddenly, technology enables us to take a decision. And this means technology opens up new questions we have never asked before, um, and we have to find answers. And the topic of the moral dilemma, in fact, next week in Berlin, I'm discussing this with Ayad Rachvan from former MIT, who is now in Germany, who developed this. This is just one aspect. I mean, we could take other aspects as prediction. Huh? I mean, uh, what do you do if in the future perhaps technology is able to well, pinpoint your biological data and perhaps even predict um, in what year you're going to die. Do you want to know that? Um, 
So there, I think, so these are new questions, and I would not say they are good or bad, but we have to learn to deal with them. And um, underlying that, I think, so is a concept where technology is part of something greater. So if you speak of autonomous cars, I mean, uh, you already nowadays have many assistants, digital assistants, which already save lives. But we are still a long way towards a truly autonomous car. I mean, um, and this brings in a bit uh, what um, we heard just before by um, uh, Simon, which is we live in a real world. And just imagine the case, you know, you come to a crossing with your car, somebody is standing there. Well, we as humans uh, are able to interpret the face, the movement, and we know this pedestrian is going to wait or he's going to cross the road. This is not yet possible in technology, which means that um, if you look at test vehicles, autonomous test vehicles, they always take a full stop because they don't know what he's going to do. So research uh, as as that what um, Simon did is quite interesting. But we have to see there is a long way to go. It's not big miracles happening, you know, once you see 5G on your smartphone. No, the world will not be the better world immediately. But we have potential to make it better. Okay. Well, let's circle back then, uh, Ranga, on these broader societal issues. And I'm not trying to to pour cold water. I'm just trying to maybe to provoke a reaction from you as as an enthusiast for technology. Uh, It's all very well. We're talking a lot about in Europe about... We need to be more competitive, which often means more productive, uh, which means more robotization and automation on the factory floor, that kind of thing. But, of course, the other side of the balance sheet, of course, is impact on on jobs, that kind of thing. Uh, Point one. Point two, you said earlier, uh, I want to push back a tiny bit, that people can adapt quite quickly to technology, but then there is this concept of older generations of you know, digital literacy, the digital divide. Some people aren't au fait with, with change. They just about get ready, get used to one system, and then there's an update or an upgrade or a new technology the next day, and they, they, they're back to square one type stuff. So I think, do, to what extent do you have, I think you do, but to what extent do you have, do you recognize that there are real issues there? Do you have sympathy for that? It's not, it's not just enough to be to get carried away with enthusiasm, not just you, but anybody else, with all these wonderful opportunities of the potential of technology, we have to be much more circumspect uh, about and sensitive to people's real concerns, even if they are not maybe rational. Of course, we, we should be always sensitive. Um, but what is interesting is I, I was interviewed quite a couple of times this year on artificial intelligence. And interestingly enough, most journalists, the first question they say or they ask is, are you afraid of AI? Okay, I'm not really afraid. The answer slowly I give these colleagues is, I'm more afraid of dumb people than of artificial intelligence. (laughs) And if you look at that on a political scale, I think so. This is much more worrisome. What we see is we have to take a population with us. We have to take everybody with us. We have seen, unfortunately, that within the digital uh, development, um, it was not fairly distributed. I mean, we see that uh, we leave behind too many. 
uh, we see that this sort of fusion of economy and digital um, thoughts um, has helped a minority more than the majority. And this makes um, countries or societies instable. Mm. And we are slowly facing this instability, which means that uh, it's not only the very poor, but it's politics which is being destabilized with all the, um, well, aftershocks which you can feel. And I think so there, the main topic in the future we have to address is the true aim. Because we have seen this sort of first phase of the internet, the first phase of the digital world, which remember when it started was a big hope also to many NGOs and you know everybody said well at last this world is going to be interconnected and then we saw the takeover by big companies and so on so uh, monopolistic structures yeah. which is one option one possibility yeah. of a development and I think so now the time has slowly come that we have to think of the other developments so it's, it's, you know, the one world is the Wikipedia world, the other world is the commercial, I don't know, Facebook or Google world. And I think so people want to see more of the Wikipedia world. And even if I take Wikipedia and, and connect it to 5G, I um, met uh, Jimmy Wales hmm? in, in, I think it was Copenhagen, and we had a lovely discussion. And Jimmy works on a project which is Wikipedia Zero, Right. The idea is give poor children free connectivity if they use Wikipedia. Isn't that a revolutionary idea to empower the poorest? Yeah. So I think so. we have to have more focus on these people. Yeah. And with the technology enabling us to do that, it's great. And as I say, the, the bottom line is communicating and empathy. So with this interconnected world, we get into a state where we get to know more. It's the empathy of knowing when a gibbon or an orangutan yeah, yeah. is there. And in the same way, empathy towards people and hopefully empathy towards underprivileged people. Right. Okay.